This is the Gospel of Jesus Christ according to Mark chapter 8. Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake, for the sake of the gospel, will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of them, the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. So today was the congregational meeting part B in one of my congregations. Very little actionable business happens in this meeting. At that congregation, we elect our council, approve a budget, and deal with any other annual business that comes up in the part A meeting. Today is a day to look back at the ministry of the past year. I hope some of that was done with pride. That little congregation hits above its weight limit in many respects. You can look at the benevolence and outreach dollars that that congregation has spent well above an average tithe in the past year. And think about all of the local, national, and international organizations that those contributions enable to do work that is beyond our scope but that we find a value. I want the members of that congregation to think of the hours we have spent gathering around word and sacrament. Think of the children who hear the story of Jesus in the sanctuary, in the basement, and in VBS in the summer. I want them to think of a text chain and an adult Sunday school group that reads and wrestles with the Holy Scriptures on a regular basis and think, about how our lives are inspired by the promises and precepts found in the holy story around which we gather and how that shapes the way we live and by extension the communities in which we live. That's more difficult to quantify in an annual report, but it is still a metric by which we can measure the success of the congregation that gathers, along with its fellowship and the cards and letters that they send to one another in times of need. I hope there is some pride when we look back. Today is also a chance to look forward, to imagine what will come. C.S. Lewis articulated a great truth when Aslan, that Jesus, like Lion from Narnia, told Lucy that nothing happens the same way twice. We will still be guided by the Holy Spirit. The promises of our baptism remain inviolable, but tomorrow will not look like yesterday 
or even today. An annual meeting, well, it's a chance to enjoy our gathering and fellowship today, but also to look back at what we have done and to look forward at what might be coming our way. This is not dissimilar from the situation in which Jesus and the disciples find themselves in the passage I just read. They find themselves in a moment of respite from the crowds that is rare in Mark's telling of the story. They have a moment to talk amongst themselves, but verse 34 lets us know that the crowds were still not far away. Jesus is able to call to them. Even in this moment, there is a public aspect of their ministry. But Jesus seizes the opportunity to have them look back. They've done a good bit up to this point, And Jesus asks them, what are others saying about me? What does the community think about us? Who do people say that I am? It's a valuable question to ask. What does the community we serve think about us? And the disciples have several answers. John the Baptist, Elijah, one of the prophets. That's well-regarded company. It's not the right answer, but it's pretty good. They've obviously been doing some good work, worthy of a bit of pride. Some attaboys all around. So Jesus gets more specific. It's good that people think that highly of us, but what do you, who have been involved in this work, think? Who do you say that I am? And Peter thinks back to all they have done and the way this ministry has touched his life, and he says, you are the Messiah, a word which means anointed by God. I hope all who gather in this congregation, who have been involved in its ministry, have similar personal experiences of Jesus Christ. I hope we are able to move beyond mapping the name of Jesus onto familiar cultural ideas to a personal experience that we can articulate. That's part of These moments when we look back and ask questions. Ministry is always public. Even in these moments, the crowds are nearby, but we can't only worry about what others are saying. We need to ask ourselves, what have we found? Who is Jesus to us? That should be an implicit question when we read any annual report. Where and how did we encounter Jesus in this moment? But Jesus doesn't let his disciples stop there. He forces them to look forward. And that is where the reading today picks up. Jesus begins to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected. And Peter is having none of it. He rebukes Jesus. Which is exactly what he has been watching Jesus do to the demons all along. It is the same word. He rebukes them. He is motivated by his love for Jesus, and he thinks he's doing what he is taught to do. When you see something you don't want, you rebuke it, but Jesus turns and rebukes him. He tells the crowd that if they want to be a part of this, they need to deny themselves and pick up their own cross. 
But what does that mean? What does it mean to deny ourselves? That was a simple and direct question posed by a young woman in a podcast I do with a colleague. It's a question that cuts to the core of the matter. Despite a childhood raised in the church, she had not been given an answer for it. What does it mean to deny ourselves pick up a cross? I don't think we can begin to answer that question without remembering what it is that Peter got wrong. See, many of us will read the following verses about the Son of Man being ashamed of those who are ashamed of him and think that denying ourselves for the sake of Jesus means standing up and defending Jesus' good name against the enemies. But that is exactly what Jesus rebukes Peter for. Peter is refusing to let Jesus suffer, be rejected, and die because suffering, loss, submission, they are considered shameful by the world. The loser submits, the winner rises in glory, but this is exactly what Jesus says he is going to do. He will submit himself. And he says we need to quit regarding it as shame. Jesus surrenders himself for the sake of others. That is what it means to pick up a cross. And we must learn to see it as glory. So much so that we endeavor to do the same thing ourselves. Jesus' submission is not a source of shame. But from Peter onward, Satan has tried to put it into the minds of Christians that it is. In the biblical text and throughout history, members of the church have tried to put Jesus on a war horse. Well, Jesus chooses the donkey. We have tried to take him by force, make him king and put him on the throne. But he always goes to the cross, the Messiah, the Christ, and his true bride, the church, will always go to the cross for the sake of our neighbors and the world. Once we start sending our neighbors to the cross for the sake of Jesus, we cease to be the church. So we are called to see that submission for the sake of others as honor rather than shame. We worship a God who will suffer humiliation for the sake of the world. That is at its core what denying ourselves to pick up a cross is. We look forward in our congregation and in many congregations. Are we willing to let Jesus do it again and again? Are we impressed enough by the fact that Jesus will suffer humiliation that we are willing to do it ourselves? Our cross isn't salvific. (laughs) But our willingness... To surrender ourselves for others does show that we're not ashamed of the fact that Jesus did it. We're following Jesus in that work, trying to participate in the saving of the world. Don't worry. The promises to find life still hold. Don't worry also. There is plenty of time for us 
to enjoy together. Jesus, in his own efforts at that mission, ate at feasts. There was a fish breakfast after his resurrection. There is time for all of the fun we want to have together, but when the rubber meets the road, the cross, for the sake of our neighbor, it's always the mission. That's always where we are going. That is always the work into which we invite our neighbors to come revel and find glory rather than shame.